Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day, these niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new. What's up, guys? This is Jake Carlisle, and welcome to the Capital Gains Podcast, where we share our experiences on how to flip and invest in real estate, the stock market, and all things fitness. Join us as we dive deep into the world of self-development and get ready to make some capital gains. All right, guys, I've got a really special guest for you today. Um, I guarantee you, nobody, uh, you don't know his name. I know one or two people may know, uh, but that's because they're family. Uh, so very special treat for you today. Um, this is not very common. Uh, I don't know if he's ever done this before, but uh, let me introduce y'all. Tim Wynn. How are, how are you? Hey, great, Jake. Appreciate uh, you having Absolutely. So Tim is my uncle um, on my mom's side, my mom's brother, uh, mom's little brother. Um, so I, uh, it's an honor to get to uh, interview him and talk a, a little bit about his business and, and his past. So um, a little bit of background on him. He is uh, he's one of the directors for Southland Holdings, and I'm not going to say much on that end. I'll let him take it over, but um, hopefully you guys get some value out of this and uh, and and learn something. So go ahead and, and give them just a little breakdown of, of what you do for Southland, what Southland does, and and we'll roll from there. All right. Yeah. So um, so Southland is a heavy civil construction company mainly, and um, it's comprised of seven seven different entities uh, that all have specializations in the construction markets. Um, one of them is a water and wastewater um, pipelines, water treatment facilities. We build those things. Um, one of them is a tunneling business, which is a very, very interesting business. Um, and then also um, we have a marine division that does ports and bridges, marine type bridges. And, um, and then a, a heavy highway division that does um, interstates, um, large um, road widenings, that sort of thing. Um, and then we have a materials division uh, that has quarries and makes asphalt and cement, concrete, stuff like that. So pretty, pretty diverse business. Um, you know, we're privately held. I have two partners and um, we, uh, we've grown through the years uh, by really by acquiring companies that were, that were struggling and turning those around. And so it's been a nice run. Uh, I've been doing it for about 22 years. And um, it, it's been a it's been a challenge every day, uh, but it's it's really been worth it. It's been great. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I uh, growing up, obviously, I knew you were you were doing that stuff, but you know, not not till really the last three four years have I really been been able to grasp it. I guess, um, especially when when I was um, living with you for a little while there last summer, um, didn't really get to grasp the I guess the scope of really what you did. And then going um, up to Dallas a couple of weeks ago and seeing your new, I guess that's your new HQ. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, and you had all the new, all the projects your company has done. Um, it's just, in, it's just incredible. Um, what, what do y'all have been able to do? Yeah, it really is. And that's probably the best part of it is we get to do some signature projects and Really, I you know it feels like a calling to me because we make the world a little better place. You know, you, you're providing clean water to people, and 
you know, you're, you're making traffic less and it seems kind of a menial thing, but, but it is a, a big part of life. And when you get to build a signature bridge or, you know, a big, a big massive tunnel or any of these special projects, it's just, uh, it makes all the headaches, I guess, worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's like last summer when you were like, yeah, let's, let's go look at this, this tunnel and, and, you know, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the, with the, the tunnel industry, I guess you, you think, oh, let's, let's look at this little tunnel and you're like, okay, so you're looking at, I don't know, a three, four foot tunnel. And then we, we roll down there. Well, then you have to put a, a safety hat on and you have to have glasses and then there's a big crane and then there's an elevator and you're like, oh, this isn't just a tunnel. And so then you get lowered down to this hole and then you're walking in a 38 foot tunnel and you're like, Oh man, this is a lot bigger than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Those are neat. And you know, the great thing about the tunneling business is you never know what's in front of you. And so there's always challenges to deal with. And so there's a lot of, it's an interesting type of person that gets in the tunneling business, but it's probably my favorite business just because it's, you just never know when you come in that morning, if you're going to hit a pocket of methane or water or, or anything like that. And also something that's fun about it is just setting up for the job. It's so critical. You have to get the setup just right. And if you can do that, it makes your life easy. And if you get it wrong, it's going to be years of heartache. And so anyway, it's just fun to kind of think through those, those problems for me and, uh, and try to try to make money doing it, which is also difficult. Um, you know, most of our projects are, or uh, or low bid projects, most of them for the government, <clears throat> and so you have to constantly be trying to be the most efficient, um, the most productive. Um, just you know that that's that's what defines the best in our industry is is really those two things: the safest, most productive, and the most efficient. Right, and I guess you know you said that you never know what you're going to get. I guess when you when you wake up every day, and I'm not sure exactly what your your day-to-day um, activities are as, as far as what your, what your responsibilities are, but it sounds like you're pretty much waking up every day and just solving a bunch of problems to keep it on track and, and stay on stay the course. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, I think any leader in any organization, their job is to run to where the fires are at. You know, they, it's not to run away from them or, or send in other people. You just, you have to go be the one that solves the, the most difficult problems and you know, the size that we are now, we, we've got, I don't know, somewhere between three and 4,000 people, <clears throat> depending on, on what's going on. And there's always problems. Um, and, and usually they're, they're fairly significant. Um, when you're working on highways and bridges and that sort of thing, there's, there's usually some significant issues because it's a, it's a very dangerous business. There's a lot of liability in a lot of different ways. And, uh, it's just it's a it's a fascinating business it really is yeah yeah i i can i can only imagine with projects that huge i mean i'm i flipped a couple houses but uh and you know i'm pretty overwhelmed it's just like you know you get into these these small little places and it's one thing after another after another the plumbing's broken here the electrical shot here and then the foundation is off five inches and i'm sure that's all you know little tiny stuff to you but you know, it, I guess it's all relative, and and as you as you get older and, and have more experience, you you just get better. I guess it doesn't get really any easier. I suppose I best I just I guess you just get better. Well, yeah, and you still have those problems. I mean, we have those problems too. You know, maybe on a 
on a relatively larger scale, but that's how we started. You know, the three of us, we kind of started in the ditch and started small and grew and, and got a little opportunity here and, and made the most of it. And then another one and another one. And, and pretty soon, you know, you've got, you've got a billion plus dollars in revenue coming in and, and, and you have a big company to manage. And so anyway, some, I always tell my partners, I guess, I guess we should be careful what we ask for because we might just get it. And uh, anyway, <laughs> We've got we've got a tiger by the tail now. Yeah. What was uh, I'm curious. What was your very first uh, project? I guess by y'all selves. Oh man, um, we had a two million dollar project. Actually, it was one point seven six four, I think, and it was in the city of Irving, and it was half pipelines and half tunnel. It was. Um, 48 inch diameter main um, that went under an interstate and it was pretty deep and kind of nasty. And um, yeah, that, that's the first job we did on our own and it, and it, went, it went very well. It's kind of crazy how you remember like the exact numbers um, on stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some things that just stick out to you and thankfully numbers is one of, or one of those things for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then what, uh, so you start out at, at 1.76, which, you know, for, for kids my age, you know, it sounds like a, like a bunch, but I suppose that's not a super huge project, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I could be wrong, but, um, you know, now what, what kind of projects are you working on nowadays as opposed to 20 years ago? Um, <clears throat> I guess the largest project is we were on a team for the Tappan Zee Bridge, which is the largest project ever built in, in North America. It was uh, several billion dollars. So that, that's the largest project. That's with our newest um, company called American Bridge, who uh, is a fascinating company. And, you know, we, we acquired them in September of last year. And um, so we just had our first anniversary with those guys. And, you know, they built the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, Empire State Building, the Astrodome, uh, Yankee Stadium, um, just anything you can imagine <clears throat> in the U.S. that's historic, they've pretty much had their hands in it. Um, it was started by J.P. Morgan in 1900, so it's an old, very, very storied company, and we're really, really proud to have them as, as part of our organization. Yeah, that is really awesome. It's it's pretty cool um, when I get to meet people and and I tell them about you and I'm like, yeah, he owns a company that built the Empire State Building and they're like, huh? <laughs> and so it's kind of funny, um, you know. And then I tell them it's American Bridge, you know, it, it this and that, but it's just still uh, the uh, the scope of of what y'all are doing is is just kind of beyond my beyond my imagination right now. And, um, but I guess to you, it, it, it just kind of, does it, does it feel, obviously it's real, but like, does it feel like, um, I don't know, like, I guess when you were 20 years ago, did you ever think you would get to, to this point or were you thinking, oh yeah, this is where I want to be? No, I, I think our goal was always just to be the best at something. And, and so that's what we focused on. We've left our goals pretty open. I, I get a little concerned when, when people come and say, hey, I have this goal or I have that goal. I, I'm much more into motivation. Like you need to find out what your motivation is because your goals will change. Um, you know, as you live life, that, those goals change, but your motivation probably doesn't. And so you always have to keep that. And for me and my two partners, 
it's always been a motivation of just being the best. And that, whether that was laying pipe or doing tunnels, it didn't matter. You know, we just we just wanted to be the best at what we were doing. And and then also we wanted to associate with good people. And so, you know, we don't tolerate a lot of a lot of BS. You know, we you know that everything doesn't have to be, you know, just a total ass whipping. You, you know, it's nice to to have people you like to work with and that sort of thing. And luckily we do. Um, we've been very fortunate in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Um, I, I think that's pretty much, um, I think that's, that's most, I guess, successful, um, successful people is, you know, they're, they're looking to, to just do, be their best, do their best. Um, not necessarily focused on the, the numerical goal or the, the money or, or stuff like that. Um, because if you can, if you can end up being the best in your industry or, or whatever you're doing, you know, that stuff, that stuff will follow, um, just naturally. And, uh, it's just really cool to see, you know, um, I, uh, my company is, is named Arte and that, that is, is a Greek word and that Greek word stands for excellence. And it's just basically excellence in everyday, um, everyday life, um, trying to become the best version of yourself. And uh, that's just really something that I that I try to strive for um, every single day, regardless of what I'm doing. Yeah, that's that's so. it. Yeah, that's it, Jake. I mean, you got you've got it figured out, and and then you just have to surround yourself with people that, that think like that, think like you do. Yep. I want to touch on the on the partner side of things um, real quick because I know um, I have one partner in, in the RTA, and then another one um, up in New Jersey working on some financial stuff, but. What what's one or two things that have kind of helped y'all over the last 22 years? I mean, I haven't been alive 22 years. Um, <laughs> what's something that has kept y'all together, um, working efficiently, communicating well, and just staying the course? Yeah, I think the first part is, you know, we, we are good friends. <clears throat> um, the other thing is we're, we're very competitive people, and we, we continue to challenge each other. Uh, and that's that's very important, um, you know, and, and, you know, everybody can't be up all the time. And so having somebody to lean on where you have 100 percent confidence in them and, and that they have your back 100 percent is really important. And I think, you know, when things start going wrong, <clears throat> it's real easy to to start pointing fingers and, and doing all that. And, you know, if you're going to do that, be open about it. Talk to them candidly and we've always had a very candid relationship. And I think that's real important as well. You just, you have to be upfront. And if you, you know, if you don't like the situation if something's ha happening that, that you don't feel is fair or reasonable or one of the partners isn't contributing, you have to address it quickly. Um, you know, there's, it just, there, there's no, there's no, there's nothing good about uh, letting things just sit there and simmer. It, uh, it has to be addressed right yeah taking taking the the hard the hard conversations and, and having them because you know, <clears throat> you know that it's going to benefit you long term you know it might it might suck in the moment but having those conversations is definitely uh, a big deal in in uh having a long-term partnership that's right and and you know you need to have everything we we try to think 10 years out all the time you're always thinking 10 years out and so when you see something that's deviating from that um from that plan then you have to you have to hold each other accountable yeah 
And that's that's something that that me and I also me and Chad struggle with, um, you know, because we have, you know, obviously we're in real estate, but you know, we sometimes we do things or we get opportunities to do things that are um, very advantageous short term. But you know, does does that really look? Does that really put us in a position to win? You know, five, ten years from now, ten years sounds like sounds crazy because that's half my life already. But um, so I guess I, I can I can look five years down the road, but we really try to look at, uh, I guess just the same way, like, hey, like, is this going to be um, worth it to us in five years? If not, you know, we, we kind of got to look at it again and see, is it is it worth our time? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, well, uh, what, uh, <clears throat> I, I think I, I saw this on SouthlandHoldings.com, but um, for the, for the people who are listening, what, like, give them a, a kind of an idea like how big is your company like legitimately like so you've got you've got the mom and pop um you know companies that are doing six figures a year maybe they're maybe they're touching seven figures um and you've got the the really wealthy people who are doing eight figures low eight figures and then you know you hear elon musk who's worth i don't know 100 and 80 billion or something like that, or Jeff Bezos, who's worth 200 billion. Um, and you know, once you get up in the B's, it's, it's, it's a different game, I, I would suppose. Um, so tell me a little bit of like, how, like, what is, what is that like for y'all? Yeah. Um, we have about $8 billion in contracts. Um, we got, um, last year, the revenue was about 1.3 billion. I think we're going to be close to that this year, maybe a little bit more. Uh, probably 1.4 billion. Um, but yeah, it changes things. And, you know, there's, there's legitimacy that comes with it. That's nice with the banking systems. And in some of those networks, you have access to things that you wouldn't previously, but, but the liability is, is substantial. And you really have to think through each, each component of everything that could happen, everything that could go wrong. You have to look at cash flow differently because the capital capital that's required to keep a big business like that going is substantial. You know, you're, you're, you're talking about having $50 million swings every week instead of, you know, having to make, uh, you know, $50,000 worth of payroll. It's different. It's just a different ball game. And, and things have to be considered differently. You have to be a little bit more professional. You know, we used to run it pretty loose um, as we could control most things. Um, and now we're having to, you know, start, start to delegate and, and uh, it's nice. I mean, <clears throat> our growth has really been all just trying to give people opportunities because we have really good people and we want them to stay a part of our family. And so we don't want them to leave. And how do you, how do you do that? How do you keep them? Well, you give them opportunities and so they can keep moving up and they can do better for them and their families. And, and that's what's happened. And it's been a good run. We have a, we have a nice business. Um, there's of course things that you would like um, to be to be better. Um, some things were more fun when we were smaller. <laughs> uh, some things were less fun. Uh, but I don't know. It's 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 a it's quite a business now. And you know, if I can tell one story, and it has to do with your sister or my sister, your your mom, and um, our business is based on bonding. So. When we bid a contract to, say, the Texas Department of Transportation to widen Interstate 45, 
um, we have to put up a, a, they call it a bid bond and a performance bond. And that basically uh, is an insurance policy saying that if we don't get the, if we don't uh, get the job done on time or whatever, they can call the insurance company and get somebody else to do it for us. And, and really that's the most critical piece to our, to our, our business. And when Southland first started, we had been in business for a year and we were trying to get $50 million of bonding capacity. And we didn't have much capital. I mean, we had no money. And so generally it's based on a, on a, on a percentage of your capital and they, they, uh, anyway, it's our, it's your limiting factor in bidding work. So we needed this $50 million really badly. Well, we had just come off our first year and we had a great year. I think we did, um, $15 million in revenue and made 5 million bucks or something. I don't know. It was great. Phenomenal margins, way better than anybody in the industry. And, uh, we, you know, the bonding company came in for a meeting and we're kind of like the little podunk guys. And, uh, they were like, Hey, you know, we've got an hour and, and our strategy was we weren't going to let them leave until we got this bonding. Like we were going to, we were going to push them and they, if we had to keep them there till midnight, we were just going to keep talking until they gave it to us. Right. And, um, and those guys, they said, no, we got to go to like three They'd been in there 45 minutes. So, man, you guys did great. Uh, no way we're giving you this. So, okay. Well, for whatever reason, on Sunday, the weekend before, um, I called your mom and said, hey, do you have a racehorse that's running at the racehorse track? And, uh, and she's like, yeah, actually, I do. And we, so after church, me and my family drove out there. We talked to the trainer, and he goes, man, this horse is either going to win or she's going to get killed. She's never raced before. And uh, for whatever reason, this bonding company meeting uh, happens like on a Wednesday and they just happen to have that race and that horse is running. And when those bonding company guys said they had to leave at 345, I said, where are you guys going? And they were like, well, we're going to the horse track. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, so are we. And uh, they were like, no kidding. So, yeah, of course, we're in the cheap sheets down there. And they go, well, you, you guys have a tip for me? And I said, yeah, I do, actually. Tina the Tiger in the fourth. And just because I'd been there on Sunday and talked to that trainer. Anyway, those guys go up to their suite level and they're drinking and having a good time. And we're down in the cheap seats. Tina the Tiger comes out and she's 27 to one odds and ends up winning that race. And all those guys up there had bet on her. So they made a bunch of money. They were all happy. They were screaming down at us from their suite. You guys are amazing. Everything you touch turns to gold. You know, they're having a great time. And they ended up approving that $50 million bonding package. And it really got us going. And it's just wow. something weird like that, you know, that just like just random uh, really put us on a path to success. And we took that 50 million of bonding and went and got some contracts and all of them worked out great. And that, it really set us up for, for success. So you need a couple of those lucky breaks, but it's amazing how lucky you get if you just work really hard. It, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Because if you, if you weren't ever in those, in those positions and, you know, put your, put yourself and if you had never done $15 million the year before, you would never have been in the position to be in that meeting and going to that race, that race, um, to be even in the room with those guys. And so you would have never gotten the opportunity, but since you got the opportunity, you know, a few things clicked and 
That's yeah. awesome. It was great. That's awesome. That's uh. Well, so I guess I could ask my mom this, but was that one of her horses, or or what? What was the deal there? I think she was just buddies with the trainer, and I know I know she knew the horse. Um, but it's been a long time since that happened. So I, there's, I, you you could probably ask her; she could probably tell you. But yeah, yeah Tina the Tiger is a is a big. I'll never forget it the rest of my life, and neither will my partners. I can promise you that. <laughs> yeah, well, to the to the tune of fifty million. I I hope not. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, but that's crazy. I mean, it's it's just you, you really never know when uh, when the things are gonna are gonna take off. I mean, it's we we. And this is a very small um, opportunity, but you know the, the house we just bought, it was a it was a you know we we've been struggling to find find really good deals because the market's so so crazy right now. And uh, Chad walked into to this lady's house to fix her plumbing, and her plumbing was shot, and uh, the foundation was screwed, and and they were leaving in Mississippi, but they couldn't pay for it. And so it just happened to be like, they loved us. And uh, we walked in there and the odds of, of closing a, uh, a seller to sell their house to you is, is not very high just because it's, you know, it's their home. And uh, we ended up having them sign a contract and a uh, long story short, helped them move to Mississippi and bought a house that was really, really discounted. And uh, it'll be one of our best deals ever. And, you know, with, with the proceeds of, of that, potentially like that, that could, you know, catapult us to a lot of other things. And it's just really random stuff that you never think about, like the racehorse. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, you need a couple lucky breaks. You really do. But like, like I said, just, just keep working hard every day. Try to do your best and, and you'll, get, you'll get some opportunities. They're, they're out there. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm a big believer in, um, if, if you're looking for opportunity, um, sometimes it'll show up, sometimes it won't, but if you, if you're not looking, then I, I guess you'll, you'll never find out. Um, There's no doubt. You know, if you're looking for it, it, it might just show up. And that's like you said, maybe we should be careful of what we ask for. Cause we might just get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's go to, um, Let's start out, uh, I guess, with with your career at Tech. Uh, a lot of you don't know that um, he played for Texas Tech. He was a tight end um, playing football for. Did you play four years? Uh, yeah, I redshirted a year and then played four. So I was there for five. Played four. Gotcha. Okay. So so start out with, um, I guess you you can say a little bit about high school, but let's let's just go ahead and, and do the uh, like what what was your football career like? Yeah. Um, I went to tech. Um, I considered UT and A&M um, and, and ended up going to tech and it was the right, right place for me. Um, it, uh, it really set me out on, on, on the foundation of who I am. And, you know, my business partner now has played football with me at tech and, um, you know, it just, I got to play for a legendary coach and he, he wasn't just a legendary coach. He's a legend, legendary person. And his name was Spike Dykes. And anybody that looks him up will find little cliches and, and all these things that he said. He was funny and, you know, an original guy. But the lessons that he taught us, we still talk about them every week. And, and that's why I say that was the right place for me is because I don't think I'd have got that um, with anybody else. 
uh, it, it was just a great experience. Um, I, I went in, I was, I was undersized. I was plenty of, plenty, had plenty of athleticism, but I was too light. Um, you know, I, I didn't take the easy way out. I, I worked out really, really hard. I, I never did any kind of steroids or anything like that. Like, a, like a, um, some of the guys did. Um, although it would have been easier. Um, I just, I'm proud of the fact that I never, never did that. And it took me a couple of years to, to get the weight on me that I needed to play at that level. Um, and I, you know, when I walked in, when I was a freshman, we had a three day camp and I was like, man, I can play, I, I can play with these guys. And then the, the upperclassmen came in and this dude who's the starting tight end walks out of the locker room and he's 6'5", 265, and looks like a Greek god. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm never going to play it down here. I, <laughs> I, can, I can remember vividly having that thought. And, uh, and then over time, you just stay at it, and you start seeing things that you think you can do better than him. And it gives you a little bit of confidence. But in the meantime, you know, you're just getting your butt kicked uh, pretty much every day uh, until you become a starter. And uh, I was lucky to become a starter that we had some injuries when I was a sophomore um, and uh, and then the, my career kind of kind of just held on from there. So it was a it was a heck of an experience. That's pretty awesome. Um, you told me to you, you texted me last night. You reminded me um, to tell you or ask you about something the spot that Spike Dyke said. Um, do you remember what that was? Well, yeah, that one. Uh, my favorite line and Spike. You know, he had a bunch of things that he did for the team that were great. But I think the reason people really loved him is because when you got him one on one, he always had some kind of little nugget that was funny, but it was totally relatable and it was brilliant. And uh, I still to this day, I have a, a group text with like all my buddies that played. We, we talk about this all the time because now, you know, if you have a winning, a, a losing season, they want to fire the coach, right? Or you lose to Mississippi State, you should fire the coach, right? And uh, back in these days, there was a coach named Bobby Bowden at Florida State, and Spike and Bobby were good buddies. They talked every week. And Bobby Bowden was winning at least 10 games every year, and he just – he really got their their fan base pretty spoiled. And, you know, Jimbo was the offensive coordinator there then, and they were a solid, solid program. And one year one, – one season, they went seven and five. And they were calling for Bobby to be fired. and. Spike walked up to me one day and I said, hey, did you talk to Coach Bowden this week? And he said, I did, I did, I tell you. Oh, Bobby's having a tough time. They're out to get him. And, uh, and I said, man, that's crazy, Coach. I mean, he won, you know, 10 games every year for the last six years or whatever. And he goes, well, you know, he's seven and five this year. He's like, you know, you know what his problem is, don't you, Win? So what's that, Coach? He said, he forgot how to coach. Forgot how to coach. And it, and I just reflect on that all the time. Like uh, Bobby Bowden didn't forget how to coach, I promise you. You know, and, and we think, you know, in this society we're in now that everything's got to be immediate and all this immediate gratification. But, you know, people need to calm down and take a step back and, and, uh, and evaluate things, you know, um, and, and focus on what's important. And Spike, he, he did that. Um, he could relate to kids from you if you were from the worst part of Houston or the richest part of Dallas or a ranch out in West Texas. Everybody loved him. Um, he wasn't a pushover. Uh, just a just a very interesting guy. And 
really everything he was about was about making plays. He was all about making plays. And that meant like in life, everything. But he always preached to us um, about doing things that are that are to the maximum of your to thrive because we didn't have the best talented guys. You know, the guys on our team, he would always say, how many of you guys got a got a scholarship offer to OU? And, you know, two guys would raise their hand. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, we're going to show them tomorrow. We're going to go out there and make some plays, and they're going to wish they hadn't put us on the schedule, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, the thing that I'm most proud of is we have skins on the wall. You know, we there was not one team in the Big 12 South at that time that um, during my career that, um, that beat us more than we beat them. Um, we were two and two against Texas. We were two and two against OU or three and one against AM, four and oh against Baylor and three, three and one against Oklahoma State. And when you come from a school like Tech, um, where you have two and three star kids and you're playing four and five star kids, the deck's stacked against you. And um, I think the chip that we played with and the toughness has transcended into our business careers because all of my friends that I graduated with are doing very, very well. And, uh, and I think it's because a lot of what spike ingrained in, in those guys and, and, um, and just, just about maximizing your, your potential and, and being focused at the right time and making, making things happen. Pretty, pretty great experience. Yeah. I, uh, that was really good. And I think, um, I like when you said, you know, we're here to make plays and you, you said not just on the football field, but in life as well. Um, because I, I'll, I'll be willing to bet that it, it did uh, make a great deal of difference um, with all your buddies going out and, and doing their thing and being successful all at the same time. Um, you know, reflecting on, on playing for spike because I'm, I'm sure that was a huge pivoting point in their life. No doubt about it. And it, one thing he 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 didn't do a lot of um, of outside quotes and stuff. He kept you know he kept his his kind of sales pitch very very small. It was you know do what you're supposed to do, play as hard as you can, uh, make plays. And but he did there there was a there was a Roosevelt quote, and I I never even knew it was by Roosevelt until uh, until probably I was five years out of school because. He always told this story about Bear Bryant and he went to a coaching clinic and uh, Bear Bryant brought him in to his office and he felt real honored by that. He said, read that on the wall right there, boy. And it was uh, it was the Roosevelt speech of, of the man in the arena. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Spike read that to us every Thursday. Uh, every Thursday of game week, we heard the man in the arena. And the first few times you hear it, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 whatever. But if you really, if you really read it and you get a little bit of experience in your life, man, it is right on. It is right on. And people that want to be successful, <clears throat> they you have to be the man in the arena. Um, and I, I don't know, do you know that? Do you know that uh that speech? Yeah, Jake? absolutely. Yeah. We uh we actually did uh, a couple of podcast episodes recently um about that and then and then tying it into um uh, the quarterback for A&M when he was you know he he lost to, to state and walked off crying and then came back and and just 
whooped Alabama. Yeah, fantastic. And that that's what's great about sports. And I guarantee you Alabama wasn't excited about that, but it sure is going to mean a lot for the rest of their lives. Those A&M kids will never forget that. It'll, it'll be something that'll, that'll motivate them their entire life. Just, just like when we, you know, when we beat UT or A&M and we, had, you know, we were 22 point underdogs, right. And the newspapers are all talking about <laughs> how bad you're going to get beat. Yeah. And, uh, and it's great. I mean, I remember very vividly, you know, our, we had beat them. We beat UT a couple times in a row and our defensive coordinator was all mad because they, the newspaper, they put, I think it was the Lubbock paper came out and said, basically we have no chance. And, uh, and our, our defensive coordinator was a, was an older guy and he was very emotional and he was great. His name was John Goodner. And he, I just remember him coming in here going, damn it, boys, you are not here by happenstance. You played your way to here, and we're going to whip their ass. And we whipped their ass in Austin. We whipped their ass in Lubbock. We put the ball in the parking lot out here. We'll whoop their ass. <laughs> like, you know, and the team's going crazy. And, and Spot comes in. is like, calm down. You know, we got one more day, one more day before we play. So, but, um, but there are those times where – and we knew we were going to beat them. Like, I knew when we walked out of that locker room, like, it was a great feeling because I knew we were going to win. And it's – you know, it's amazing. It's, a, it's amazing to be a part of something like that. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that um, it's crazy how, you know, even though, you know, you're probably two and like you said, two and three stars stacked against four and five stars, because that's just kind of how the, the recruiting rolls at Texas. Texas is full of talent and, um, you know, but it, you know, it all, like, like, I was texting you when A&M was playing Arkansas and uh, Arkansas doesn't have, I mean, they, they've got players, but they don't have the, the roster like A&M does. And, you know, you were just like, Hey man, Arkansas just wants it more, you know, nope. like, that's nope. it. They, they yeah. came out and they were like, Hey, I want to win more than you. <laughs> yeah. And that's the great thing about football. It doesn't matter how good you are. Like the effort just has to be there. Um, and I think that's what frustrates fans so much is when they see that the effort's not there is when they really, really start getting down on a program. But, uh, yeah, in that game right there, I, I had breakfast with a guy whose son played at Arkansas, and he, he told his dad, he said, hey, there's zero chance we lose this game. And so they had that mentality when they came out there. He's like, 100%, we're going we're gonna to whip them. And they did. And that, that's what it takes. It's, uh, it's yeah. incredible. And there sometimes was. in life, you know, you don't, you don't get that, like, you're not going to win them all. Um, but can you imagine if your attitude was that way every day? I mean, it would, uh, it, it'd be hard for you to fail. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy that um, you should probably, um, you, you can look him up. His, his name is Ben Newman. Um, he's, he is a, uh, he's not really a strength coach. He's a, he's basically a mindset coach for, for Alabama and, and Kansas state. And for him, um, he his one of his biggest uh not quotes but his his one thing he says it's it's always standards over feelings and uh you need to you need to attack the day every single day um like you're trying to to win the day and and so um he's just he's just somebody who is consistently just winning 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 and even even when his teams don't win you know aka alabama and, and kansas state 
know, he recognizes that and, and they go back in and, and learn and, uh, and go back in and, and whip the next team because they, they realized how bad it hurt to lose. And, uh, and they, they got to come back and, and get in that mindset again. Yep. Well, you're going to take losses, but you know, like you say, you just, you gotta, you gotta regroup and go and, and they're, they're good times to, to reflect and learn and, you know, figure out what happened. You just, you you know, it's all necessary. It's part of life. And that's, that's probably what, what helped y'all um, going through football and then, and then starting Southland and, and getting it to where it is now. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure your, your mentality is, uh, is is grounded in the fact um, when you were out there as an underdog trying to trying to beat Texas, and now you know you're you're probably not the biggest company out there, but you're you're gunning for to, to be better than the, than the big guy. You know, um, it's it's all relative, I guess. So, yeah, it is, and you know we have had to change a little bit, and that's funny. I had this discussion um, recently with someone about <clears throat> about our our company, and you do kind of go from from being the underdog when you're smaller to kind of being the guys now. And it, and it does, it changes people's mentality and, you know, trying to figure out a way to keep that chip on your shoulder is very important. And that's the culture we want. Um, and so anyway, we, we constantly talk about it. I think, you know, one of my partners and, and I talk about it every day, um, you know, mentality, what's our mentality, How you know, how, how do we feel? How does the company feel? Let's, you know, it's, it's, it's the culture is very important. Very important. Yep. And I think uh, <laughs> even, even this last week, um, you said that that's, I think that's how Saban has been able to win so much because he takes, he takes guys who were, you know, cream of the crop already top of the top of the line. And he, he throws them in there and, and says, Hey man, like you're gonna have to grind and, 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 uh, and be the best. Um, because even, even though there's five stars coming in there, you know, you're full of five stars. And so now you're, you're on the bottom of the totem pole of five stars. And so you got to earn your way up, have a chip on your shoulder and, uh, just keep pounding, even if you're the best. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you can see Saban, I mean, he, you can see him on the sidelines, minuscule things. He just goes ballistic over them because he just, he, he wants it to be perfect. <clears throat> and I think the culture of that program is just you know, it's second to none. And, you know, what I hate about college football is everybody thinks they ought to be the national champion, but there really aren't that many Sabins. And then there really aren't many places like Alabama where it means so much to those people. Um, I mean, they, they literally live and die football. I mean, I, I have a lot of guys from, from Auburn that work for me and University of Florida and and when what what I was worried about when AM went to the SEC, I was like, man, you know, like they're not the Aggies aren't going to want it as much as these people. Like it's impossible to want it more than them because they'll do anything to win. You know, yeah. it's just so it's not just saving, it's a whole program, you know, and it's a factory and it's in the right spot. You can get big linemen and he's just he's got it going on and, and it's gonna be difficult until he steps down or they have some major implosion it's going to be hard to, to, to top them. Um, right. And I, I think Jimbo's done a great job. I, I think he's a program builder. I, and I think there's not a lot of those guys out there. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he was a great hire. I'm, I'm sure if I'd have said that a couple of weeks ago, y'all would be laughing at me. But um, with, well, the, with, 
with the Bama win, now everybody's back on the bandwagon. Yeah, so. I know, I know. I think me and my me and my uh, my buddy that we went to the the game. I think we were the only ones that didn't um, didn't go ballistic after we scored the game winning field goal because you know we we knew what was going to come come next. Uh, and I think another guy that that I really like and look up to is is Davo Sweeney at Clemson. I think he's another guy that that has his head on straight and and built that program um really really well uh what he did was incredible i mean clemson was a you know they're a stepchild in south carolina you know they're it's what he did is is truly truly amazing and it's kind of funny i have a buddy whose son ended up going to oregon and he plays safety there very high recruit um from dallas and he played he played with me and um he was saying that when he went to uh Clemson for a visit his his wife said no way we're sending our son there and because they had just had the shootings in South Carolina mm. and she, and he said by the time that Dabo got done talking to her she was ready to go suit up and play like he was just such <laughs> a great recruiter you know that that he you know he had totally made his wife who said zero chance we're going to South Carolina totally sold her and so I'm guessing that's part of it, but that's just the first part. And then getting those kids to play up to their potential is the next part. And, you know, I think a lot of people have one or the other, um, but there's very few Dabos out there and there's very few Sabins as well. Yep. Well, I mean, there's only one Saban. I'm not, I'm not sure there are any others. Yeah. He's in a good spot. I mean, but he, he's done well everywhere he went, you know, Michigan state, and LSU and, and uh, of course Alabama, but uh, the Dolphins not so much. Uh, the Dolphins not not so much. And well, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, uh, speaking of uh, of NFL and and college football, um, when Kingsbury was at A and M, he was a great offensive coordinator, and he went to Tech. I'm not sure what the inner workings of that was. Um, wasn't super super successful, and then got hired at Arizona and all of a sudden Arizona is like one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, I'm sure you probably have a little bit more insight on that, but what happened there? Yeah. So Cliff, Cliff and I played together and we're still friends and still chat and all that, but he, um, he is, he didn't like recruiting. Um, I think that was a beating for him. And then he also had kind of a celebrity status in Lubbock. I think it's kind of difficult to to come in um, and and be that celebrity type guy. And, you know, he couldn't go out to eat. He could, you know, there's things like that that just make life very difficult. And then the fact of the recruiting, I think I think that was tough on him. And um, and then um the the whole NFL scheme, like Cliff is a brilliant guy, brilliant. Uh, 4.0 finance, whatever, awesome guy, works his butt off. The NFL just fits perfectly for him because he he's there's no one that's going to be smarter than him. And so, you know, he, he's going to put in the time as well, but he just, you know, he needs a general manager, in my opinion, to come and say, okay, let's go get this guy, let's go get this guy. And, you know, here's your defensive coordinator. You know, and when you're a young coach, you got to remember he was the youngest coach in D1. And um, you haven't developed those relationships yet, like an Art Browse had 
when he got his first head coaching job, he could go pick the cream of the crop, you know, high school coaches, and then all the other high school coaches loved him so he could recruit. There's all those things Cliff didn't have because he went and played in the NFL for seven years or whatever, then coached for three years and got a head coaching job. <clears throat> and so I think that he had to learn on the fly. I think he had to hire a bunch of his friends uh, on his staff. And and he still did pretty well. I mean, the, if he had a field goal kicker, he'd still be our coach. So, you know, he we lost three games one, his last season, I think, uh, because guys missed 20 yard field goals. But anyway, he's, you know, he's a great guy. <clears throat> and I think, you know, having Patrick Mahomes and those type of guys underneath him and, um, and Baker Mayfield and all those probably helped him <clears throat> get credibility in the, in the pros. Um, I'd heard, and I have never asked him this, but I'd heard that, that they were shocked at what Patrick was doing at tech in the scheme that they were running whenever, whenever the, the Cardinals um, interviewed uh, Patrick, they were like, wow, this is awesome. This is what we want. And that's kind of how Cliff came about there. Gotcha. And I think, I think they're the only undefeated team in the NFL so far this year. Yeah, they're having a great season. I think he's out with COVID today, so we'll see what happens. But <clears throat> um, hopefully they win one for him. Yeah, that'll be really cool. Well, we're coming up on 49 minutes, I think. Um, I'll go ahead and, and I'll ask you these these last three questions. Um, I think from now on, we'll probably have these same questions for um, the majority of our guests, uh, just to give us some insight on, on uh, for, for us youngins, I guess, because I'm 20. Um, and, you know, you've been in business for 22, 23 years, more than I've even been alive. And so... Um, I'm sure that makes you feel good, but, uh, you know, uh, so my first question is going to be, um, why do you get up every day and continue to do what you do? That's a good question. Um, I think there's two, two parts to that answer, two, two answers to that. And really one is I just, I still, I still want to be the best I can be. I don't, I don't want to leave anything out there. I want to give it my all when I, when I pass, I want people to say, man, he, you know, he, he did everything he could possibly do with what God gave him. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. Um, and the other thing is I, I think I can contribute to our team, um, which is a big motivating factor for me. And I, you know, I, I think, you know, if I could find somebody that could do my job for me, I'd love them to have it. And, and I would try to contribute in some other way, but it's, it's, you know, it's taking care of my family my extended family, my work family, you know, um, I feel responsible for that. I feel like, you know, God's given me some gifts that, that have allowed me to, to succeed and, and I don't want to let him down um, or anybody down, I, you know, so that's a motivation for me. That's about all I need really. Um, I don't need, you know, a lot of money or a lot of crazy things, but um, that that's it. That, that would be it for me. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, one of the biggest things that I remember you told me, I don't remember what it was, but, you, uh, you know, for people, people always, um, you know, they want to live this high fluting lifestyle and have all this money. And I think you told me one day that, you know, if, if you could get, if you could take take all of it away, um, if you had 5 million bucks in the bank, you could go live on the ranch and never do anything ever again. And I think um, that is really uh, a testament to, you know, your, your underlying motivation, um, underlying drive to just be the best and it's not it's not even about the money because like 
you know, I, I'm sure you make plenty more than that. And, uh, but you know, you say 5 million, that's all I need. And I just, I can just go live on the ranch, right? It, it's not, it's not about the, the big high flute and lifestyle, which is awesome. It's super fun, but you know, I think it, it's a testament to your, your discipline and drive. Yeah. I think, you know, my, my kind of my thought on that is like, if you live the luxury lifestyle every day, the, the special wears off, right? You, you need to keep some things that are, that are special. And for me, like, you know, having dinner with my girls is special. Like that, that kind of stuff is great. And, and it's, it's, it's more important than the others. And I know that's easy to say now uh, because, every, you know, everybody wants financial stability and I, I'm no, I'm no different there. You know, that, that was a big motivating factor for me for a long, long time is, is just being able to provide food and shelter and, and those fundamental things. And when you have it all on the line, that's not always guaranteed. And, and we have had it all on the line for, for 22 years. So anyway, yeah, it's a, it's funny how life is. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my second question would be, uh, and I asked you this a couple of days ago, but what would you say to your 20 year old self? Um, you know, I would, I would, if we're talking about investing, I'd say invest aggressively. Um, don't be stupid, but, but be aggressive because you have plenty of time to make up from it. Um, and I, you know, when you give advice, it kind of needs to be catered to people. But if I'm just going to be general to what I feel like 20 year olds are right now, I would say, you know, limit distractions, um, stay focused, um, you know, just, I think I told you um, the other day that, you know, I feel like there's, there are givers out there in life and there are takers and don't align yourself with takers. Um, yeah. And and definitely don't be one. Um, and that that's, that's critical. And you need to trust your gut when, when you're dealing with people and uh, you know, if there's, if there's suspicion that they may be a taker, you need to, you need to cut bait right away. Yep. Yeah, I think it's that's really simple, simple advice. But I think most of most things like that in life are, are more simple than people make it, and people try to just make it too too uh, complex and to understand it. And so, I think for me, the simpler the simpler it is, um, you know, the the more I can get done. So I think that was really good. And then my my very last question. Um, let me see. What does success mean to you? Like what, when you, when, when I say I want to be successful or when you say you want to be successful, what does that mean to you? I think, <clears throat> I think just maximizing the, the gifts that I've been given and, and it's different from ever for everybody, but just doing the best you can possibly do with what, with what, you know, what, what gifts you've been given, which opportunities you've been given, because not everybody has them. They don't all have the same opportunities, but whatever opportunities you do get, just maximizing that opportunity. Um, and you're, you know, using your ability and, and doing the best you can take, take care of the people that love you and, uh, and do the best you can. That's it. Yep. Very, very simple, but I think take, if you take care of your, your people, those, those people will in turn take care of you. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about your story with the racehorse. It's like, well, if my mom had never even known 
um, about the racehorse or, or if y'all didn't, you know, if y'all didn't talk to each other very much, you would have never known about the racehorse. You would have never known or you would have never gotten that $50 million bond. And uh, that's just some crazy stuff to think about. Uh, you know, you take care of her. She took she took care of you and you got a little slingshot. Yep. No, uh, she's she's been a great advocate for me my entire life. There's no doubt about it. Very special person. Yep. She uh she's really good. She she called me this morning and was super, super excited about about uh me interviewing you. I think she wanted to she wanted uh, a lot of questions asked, but um I think she's really excited to hear it and I think she'll enjoy it. Okay, that's great. Well, I mean, I think I think that's all I've got for now. Um, you got anything else? I don't, Jake. I don't. Maybe one day we can talk about investing, and so that's that's what this is about. But uh, yeah, man, um, great time, great talking to you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you guys for listening to the Capital Gains podcast. If you got any value from this, please share it. Um, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And just let us know what we've been doing good, what we do bad. Um, if we do anything bad, please just let us know so we can correct it. Let us know what you want to hear from us. That way we can improve the podcast and get you guys the content you want. Um, and if you want to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to us and let's see if we can add some value to each other. Let's get ready to make some capital gains. 101 Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day. These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.